Let's you go. love me. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome in, everybody. It is, oh my God, Thursday? June 1st. It is 12 o'clock, uh, noon, central, 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. I have the wonderful Alexander Mertz and the great Gary Black joining us today. Thank you both very much for joining me. It's been a minute. Gary keeps picking on me because he says I'm this like dark side person now. And I kept telling Gary, Gary, Tesla has to advertise. He's like, no, they don't. They don't have to advertise. They got this. So what's going on, man? Come on, bro. Give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> Good to see you guys again. It's been a while. <laughs> so, so let's go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, well, no, please. The thing with advertising that I've always liked, and you know, we have a mission, you know, it's a MP1 where the goal is to accelerate the world's transition to sustainable energy, but it's got one variable, you know, and the variable is affordability. And look, I'm a multivariate guy, and I don't know why you can't use more than one variable than just affordability when only 10% of the world owns an EV. And if you, you know, you go out and you talk to people who don't own EVs, and I talked to a bunch of them, and I said, why don't you own a Tesla? And you hear things like, it costs too much. I don't know where to charge it. I'm afraid I'm going to have the kids in the car. I'm going to run out of battery. Um, you know, it's stuff like that that's so easy when you think about advertising to educate people that the operating costs are much lower than EV versus ICE. It's very simple to charge. You just plug it in at night like you plug your iPhone in if you have a garage. Um, the technology, you know, you think about near autonomy, you don't have that with ICE cars. The residual values are higher. The performance, which is what cars kind of, you know, used to use to sell themselves, is much faster on the V. And you remind people that you're saving the planet. So to me, why not use all that stuff in advertising and, and you know, use it as a second variable, not just affordability? To me, that just, it's just common sense. So that's why I've been a big fan of advertising. I'm glad that, you know, Kevin asked him the question and he said, yeah, I'm going to try it. I don't know if that's the reason the stock went up. That's one reason I think that, you know, people are looking at it as another, uh, another tool that you can use to accelerate EV adoption. And so I think that one thing that people were very, and look, what I'm struck by is how Elon was amazed that people were so in favor of this. You know, he was like, wow, that was quite a reaction. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah. That's, that's my two, two, two minute spiel on why Tesla should advertise. So were you were you surprised that uh, it was so I guess two questions. Were you surprised by the crowd reaction and how many people were uh, enthusiastic about Elon saying yes? And were you surprised that Elon said yes? How do you think no, about that? I was surprised Elon said yes. I was not surprised by the crowd reaction because I talk to people. I talk to shareholders all the time. And I know that people are very in favor of calling the silent majority. Um, in, in, in favor of advertising because it does get to the mission and the mission is to accelerate EV adoption. You can't just do it on affordability. That's, that's just, it's not going to get you there. So you got to educate people why an EV. And so I wasn't surprised that people, you know, applauded loudly and Elon, but I was surprised that Elon didn't get that. I mean, he's not, he's not, he's, he's, he's in his own echo chamber, I guess, because he, he was definitely taken aback by it and, so the fact that he agreed, I think, was good. And I think he said on a subsequent interview that they've been talking about it for you know a few months. So I think it's a good thing. I just hope he carries through on it. It doesn't take another two years 
I'm going to put up, you know, some ads because I do think it will accelerate the adoption. Sorry. I have a question to you uh, because we were all there, all three of us. Yeah. Uh, and then we read that actually advertising has been in discussions for weeks and that they talked to, I think it was notably to Deutsche Bank about it prior to the shareholder meeting. Do you think us screaming, because we were, right? I mean, the 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 mood in the shareholder room was really very pro-advertising and and other than greeting GB's trouble, I think this was the the, the most enthusiastic moment of, of the whole presentation. Um, do you think that carried it over the line and, and that still had an influence? Or do you think it was already a, a made up decision before before he went on stage for the shareholder meeting? I don't know the answer to that. I, I just, I was struck by his reaction that he didn't realize how enthusiastic people were about advertising. I mean, he's the CEO. And look, he's been busy with Twitter, but you know, he spent a lot of time with Linda Yaccarino in the month from when I first saw Linda the night before she interviewed him. And that's what she she told me. That was the first time she ever met him to when she actually got hired. I would think she's talked a lot to him about why Tesla should advertise. And look, it's got to help him at Twitter to be able to say he's going to advertise, right? Because if, if you're trying to get advertisers back at Twitter, the first thing they're going to say is, Look, you don't even believe in advertising. You don't even advertise yourself. So it'll help him at Twitter with advertisers to at least be able to point to advertising, to at least say that he gets advertising, he understands the ROI of advertising, and that's why they should come to uh, Twitter. Look, 2024 is a huge advertising year because you got two things going on. you got the election and you got the Olympics. And so he's got to get those advertisers back in the fold before then. And again, hiring Linda is, is, is a good thing because she can bring those advertisers back. Hopefully he doesn't then chase them away with some of his tweets, which you know, that's a whole other story. Okay, so do you think that Tesla will primarily advertise on Twitter or is it also gonna be, I don't know. No, I don't think. Old stuff, go ahead. And look, social media is one place you advertise and you know you can you can pay for search, you can pay for you know Instagram, you could you know, get on Twitter. I think that's one place. But I think you're going to get a lot of people claiming foul if he puts his advertising just on Twitter. So I do believe you're going to see some dollars go to mainstream media. But I think most of it will go to social media. Look, I would be happy if he just went on and put some YouTube videos and did some, you know, paid for some search. I think that would be helpful. But I just don't know what they're going to do because they haven't really talked much about it, except for his throwaway comment at the annual meeting that, yeah, we're going to do it. He hasn't really given much detail about it, and it's very hard to get anybody inside the company to talk about it. So you just don't know what he's going to do. And look, an ad agency will be able to do that. Everybody says, well, where are you going to advertise? How, how are you going to allocate the money? That's not something we should be doing. That's what the media, oh. uh, that's what the ad agency comes up with. That's why you pay them. So I believe that Elon, if he gets involved, because he's very creative and he's brilliant, he can come up with some really good ads. And every CEO I know who gets involved in advertising you know, they usually add value because they get the business. He gets the business cold mm -hmm. and he's sure. got a very good wit about him. And I think he could come up with some very interesting, engaging and useful advertising that's compelling. Yeah. And so I'm looking forward to seeing what they come up with. The, the stuff that I've seen so far, you know, it's been like two minute, um, we'll call it testimonials. The stuff that they put on their website, like the one in China that everybody looked, it was two minutes long. Shanghai. Yeah, that, yeah that's, not, that's not an advertisement. Advertisement's got to be, you know, 30 seconds or 60 seconds. Yeah. And it, okay. look, to me, there's two types of advertising. One is why an EV? So you just talk about EVs in general versus ICE, and they're going to get, Tesla's going to get a fair share. And then the second is 
why Tesla versus other EVs, whether they be, mm. you know, Mach-E or ID4 or, you know, the new Porsche Macan that's coming out next year. I would be doing the former and just trying to get the whole market to grow faster and then Tesla gets its fair share. But that's that's not up to me. That's up to the ad agency. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think what's what's really interesting about sort of his response is that it's very clear that this sort of advertising thing was not part of is not part of Tesla's DNA or it's part of mm. of Elon Musk's DNA. It's just like it's like almost like they the t company can't wrap its head around why that would be so useful and I think that's why they had that sort of shock response on stage. I'm on I'm on that same camp. I was there for four years. That DNA is ingrained in me, right? So it's like for me, it's it's I, I fully understand why there was so much resistance to it. And I think Elon's reaction is. on stage. What's there that? Still, there still is. I mean, sure. we talked about it sure. on Twitter. And look, I grew up in a consumer packaged goods environment. I work for Kraft General Foods. I get the whole advertising world. You know, I, to me, I'm not an engineer, right? And so to me, I could see the benefits of advertising. I think there's almost like this pride factor that we've never had to advertise before. And it's exactly. almost viewed as below them. It, the product should speak for itself. The product doesn't speak for itself. This is a very, you know, it's a noisy world we live in. And there's, you know, ads coming out all over the place and YouTube videos. And you you, you got to cut through the clutter. And I, I, I just hope that, look, one of the things that I think was very beneficial is him hiring Linda. Remember, there was a lot of debate last year. And I was in the middle of this. Should he hire a techie or should he hire an ad exec? And I was out there, I felt like alone saying he needs to hire an ad exec to bring all the advertisers back. And I am so happy that he hired an ad exec because Linda, who I know personally, and I've spent time with her, she, she's got the right balance of skills. She gets the uh, advertising world. She's got credibility, but she also is a very um, direct communicator. And I think she will put Elon in his place if anybody can to say, look, Elon, you're wrong about this and here's why. And she's tough. She's one of these people if Elon insults her, she's not gonna just wilt and like go away. Now that's a good thing and a bad thing because one of the worries I have is that will she buck him enough that you know he gets annoyed and because you know he likes the loyalty. You could see that in the way he operates. You can see it in the, his senior executives. I hope that he can put up with somebody who's very strong-willed and is going to speak her mind. She's from New York. She's she's a tough lady. And you know, how she, have you met her? How how come you know her? I mean, yeah. not that we really want to go into all details, yeah, no, no, but no, this no. is surprising, right? It's a good question. I started talking to her. Probably, uh, so she interviewed Elon in Miami, which again, nobody was down there. I was the only one down there from the Tesla view, which shocked I me. I remember. And yeah. I was like, why is nobody else down here? This is like a big event, but you know, nobody was there. But I, I had spent probably three to four months before that just talking to her online. And I can't remember if she contacted me or I contacted her. I, I really don't remember, but we started talking about it. And it was very clear, she she was a fangirl. She, she loved Elon Musk. She was a conservative. She loved the idea of, you know, maybe going to Twitter and being important or going to Tesla as like the head of marketing. And she like she 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 was just very, very compelling when I listened to her because she reminded me of my old world in advertising. that Somebody could actually spell out and, and Elon will go for this. Here's the ROI. Here's how you measure ROI. Here's what you have to say to advertise it again to come back on Twitter. And the more we talked, the more I kept thinking she would be great for the Twitter job. She'd be great just as like a head of advertising uh, at Tesla. And that's why I engaged her. And then she, I, I can't remember how it happened, but 
her staff convinced Elon to come to this event, which was a giant event, 800 advertisers, the MMA event, um, beyond it was called, in Miami. And I said, okay, this is really good. She's going to interview them. They'll get to know each other. And that's because I remember I, I had drinks with her the night before she was supposed to interview her. And she was pretty nervous, but she was very pumped and she was very prepared. And she, you know, wanted my two cents. Not that I know what, what, what you know, you should ask Elon. But I think she wanted to figure out how far could she push him because she wanted to push him on stage. And so I got the sense after the watching the interview that this, this, this action could go somewhere. And apparently they started talking at that time. And I remember that night uh, after she interviewed him, they had like a, a dinner with like of the 800 people there. There were like 20 that were invited to a special dinner, like the bigger folks. And she and Elon were going to kind of tag team and go talk to them. And so I kept thinking this would be a great person to run Twitter or to be the head of advertising. And that's why I engaged her. But she, um, you got, you got to get to know her. She's got a very New York type personality, very direct, very witty. Um, and the biggest thing I worry about is, can he put up with that? Can he put up with somebody who is going to speak her mind and say to him, Elon, you really shouldn't be tweeting about that. Remember the, the interchange between them about tweeting at three in the morning. And to me, that wasn't really that value added to get him to say, I'm not going to tweet at three in the morning. But, but I think it, it, it goes to the heart of how she's going to suggest to him different things. And I can imagine him tweeting things about, you know, the politics, whether it be DeSantis or Trump or something, and she going to him and saying, Elon, you know, knock it off. <laughs> you're, 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 not, you're not letting me do my job, which is to bring advertisers back to Twitter by doing what you're doing. And I just hope he can he can deal with that strong woman. I talked to her last week. I talked to her now, and she said things have been great. She and Elon have had a great relationship. He's done everything. that she, And she can't start yet in six weeks because she has a garden leave from NBC Universal. But I think it will be a good relationship as long as he can let her do her job. You know, so she starts first of July. Is that is that the date? I guess it's six weeks from whenever they announced. Yeah, and I think that yeah. was middle middle of May. And um, and I mean, I find it obviously as a woman very uh, positive that Elon has key women in sure. in all companies now. I I do believe there is an add-on effect. I mean, it's just it is what it is, right? Relationships between men and women are different than just between men or or, or whatever else. And I have to think this brings. Yeah, 50% of consumers are women. And and of car buyer decision makers even more, right? Correct. Um, and, and and I do believe there's also really an add-on on being a woman in the ad business. I, I just believe there is uh, you know, there's something more brought to the table than than if it's just men like. So I'm I'm very happy it's her. I have a very good first impression. I hated how in initially both the extreme left and the extreme right were jumping on her. My God, this woman got so much heat in the first week. I love that. Crazy. I, that well, proves I mean, that it's perfect, right? It's a perfect pick. <laughs> I asked her, I said, did you realize this was going to happen? That both sides would attack you? She goes, no. And see the thing that I liked about Linda is the, the media business is overwhelmingly liberal. Think about Ross, okay? It's a liberal community <laughs> They have wait, Ross is liberal? liberal? No way. <laughs> no way. But Linda is not. She's not a liberal. She's actually more aligned with, with Elon and myself. She's she leans conservative. I would call her libertarian of anything. And because Elon's not just, you know, he's not a right wing fanatic. He he's socially pretty liberal. Well, for Ross, he is. <laughs> well, <laughs> Ross, so Ross is quiet. 
Yeah. <laughs> now, Ross. <laughs> she, they they have a very similar political leaning, leaning mm -hmm. in Elon. So I think that's good because I think he has to respect her views when she comes to him and says, Elon, you need to stop doing this. You're hurting my ability to bring in evidence, which as you know, are very liberal, who as you know, are very liberal. And so he's got to remember that. And you know, he, look, he, he quoted the princess bride and everybody, including myself, were kind of a little bit horrified by it. It's like, I don't care. Oh, you were horrified by it? I loved it. I, well, to say that you don't care, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. You, you got to be practical, right? At the end of the day, no, 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 no. You're a Wall Street person. I mean, Elon has to, he has to live this. I mean, I absolutely loved it. I had somebody saying to me, oh, it was a two minute break. It wasn't, it was 12 seconds. And okay. he really thought it through, right? And and I, I mean, I absolutely loved it that he's standing up for his mind and his opinion. And if it costs him money, what the heck? But if it costs him advertisers, listen, if it costs him advertisers and he can't bring them back, then you as a Tesla shareholder are going to deal with the same thing you had to deal with in the fourth quarter of last well, year. Well, be it. Where he's going to sell more Tesla stock. Be it. I know. I hear it. But I mean, if, if that is the price to pay to really get us one social media platform where there is no shenanigans, well, be it. Well, I, and, and, I, and I know we had this discussion since last year, April. Right? It's been more, more than a year where you said, yeah. well, this is going to be the worst idea ever. He's going to put us in trouble. He's going to have to pay with something. So he will sell Tesla shares because that's the big stock, uh, share of his of his wealth. I mean, I hear you. But for a year and two months, I've been keeping us going on saying, be it. If that has to be it, uh, we're holding the bags. Look, he's cut costs by 80 percent. And that's why it is almost cash flow positive. But in order to, I mean, you've seen the valuations, Fidelity marked it down to, to 15, right? Million, yeah. and, you know, others have said 20. He's got to bring the advertisers back. And that's why, again, bringing Linda on as opposed to some techie was a sure. very, very smart move, even though everybody hated it initially. Now they now they think it's great. But I remember last year fighting with people. They said, no, he needs a techie. Well, that, that wouldn't have been good. It'd be good to bring somebody who can bring the advertisers back and at least smooth over at the end of the day, I think Elon will play ball with advertisers. He's a businessman. He wants to make money on Twitter. He wants to make it very powerful and very profitable, I believe. And I think at the end of the day, he will he will be more moderate in his views and listen to Linda as long as she can, you know, stomach that he's going to get mad at her, you know, and he's going to, you know, yell at her. <laughs> yeah, this is like a good marriage. I it can see be. it coming. Yeah, but I but I think it'll work again. Knowing Linda's personality, she's got the right blend of she's direct, she's got a strong stomach, she's hard skinned, but she will come up with good ideas and hopefully he won't get too pissed off if she insists that, you know, he do something. And look, but don't you already feel don't you already feel that his focus has shifted back to Tesla considerably these last two weeks? I mean China that his whole communication is much less involved with the Twitter spaces oh, and commenting yeah, yeah. on, on, on every bizarre bizarre um tweet from some yeah. writing blog or whatever uh, th there is certainly already a shift happening well he's much more engaged and look people can say what they want about you know twitter over and whatever but that was a big time sink and the fact that he's spending so much time now on tesla that's wonderful it's a great thing mm -hmm. and the fact that you know she's going to be starting in a couple of weeks maybe four weeks three weeks whatever it is That'll allow him to spend a lot more time at Tesla. And I think that's good. It's good for Tesla as a shareholder. But one of the things that people don't realize is 
you know, institutions love Elon as CEO. They do not want him to go anywhere. And look, there are people who say, yeah, we could do what Steve Jobs did and bring somebody else in the room. I don't agree with that. I think Elon is perfectly suited for running Tesla. You need an engineer to run Tesla. You need somebody who thinks about technology and, you know, has a mission. And I, I, I'm telling you, if he were to quit Tesla, which is, remember, that was being rumored, being spread by the Wall Street Journal of all uh, media organizations. Remember, yeah. That would be a disaster for Tesla shareholders, you know, and mm -hmm. nobody, nobody I know who's a serious investor in Tesla would want Elon to not be a CEO. So I'm very happy that he still has the role. It looks like he's getting more involved, not less. And he brought in somebody to manage Twitter who can at least free up his time because, look, he's still going to do all the product stuff for Twitter and she's going to do all the stuff he hates, the legal, the compliance, you know, wooing the advertising. That's not, that's not stuff that Elon likes doing. So it's mm. all good. Freeze up his time. Let me ask you a question, Gary. So now, now that all of this has been developing and, you know, it seems like uh, a lot of folks are much more at ease with sort of the state of where Tesla's at, where Twitter's at. What are you hearing from institutionals when you have conversations with them about just their gut feel on on how Tesla is going to, you know, the outlook for the rest of the year, their confidence in their investment? What, what are you hearing? So here's I was looking at some numbers yesterday. You can get on Bloomberg and put what percent of the shareholder base is institutional. Tesla's among the lowest. It's 45% is held by institutions, 55 by retail. When you look at something like Google or Microsoft, it's 70, 80, and even Apple, which has a little bit more of a retail mindset, it's 65 is um, institutional. And so people ask me, I said, why aren't institutions in love with Tesla as much as you are? <laughs> and there's a, there's a couple of reasons for that. One is, you know, there definitely is key man risk. You know, people like having a bigger team. And look, having all those people on investor day on the, on the stage, I think helped. I think, you know, there is a, a view that Elon doesn't care as much about the stock price. And I don't think he, he doesn't care. I think he's much more long-term focused and that's what you want a CEO to be. I think the, we call it capital allocation. So once you've got all the internal projects funded and you're spitting out cash, what do you do with the cash? That's capital allocation. And it's not about, it's, it's once you've built all the factories and all the robots and all the robo-taxis and, and spent money on internal stuff, once there's cash, what do you do with it? I know that because they bought Bitcoin, and people know my feelings about Bitcoin, that was a big knock against them, and they're just letting the cash build up. They have $22 billion in cash, and my projections is they're going to, they're gonna, after all the plants, all the R&D, they're going to they're going to they're going to generate about 60 billion of what I call free cash flow or excess cash flow over the next five years. What do you do with that cash? And I think there's still a worry that they'll, they'll, they'll do something stupid with it. Will they buy more Bitcoin? I doubt it. Elon seems to have learned his lesson. And when I read the article about Zach, it seemed like he was against it. And Elon was for it. But the, do, do, will they put money into cash at four percent? That would not be a good thing. You need a certain cushion, you know, but. How much is enough? And if we're talking about, and I don't want to get into buybacks, but if you're trying to give money back to the shows, how much cash do you need to keep on the books? You know, maybe 20 billion. Is that enough? It's probably a year's worth of capital in case you get into trouble. And if we do have a recession, which I want to talk about that in a minute too, because there is definitely a feeling that the reason, and it's being spread by Elon, that the reason estimates have come down so much because they're in somehow they're in a recession. Yeah. But before we get there, can I ask you two questions? The first one is, do you still think there are a Bitcoin in the Tesla balance sheet? Because I, I don't find it's, it's what, 100 million, 125 million? I, I think it's okay. a little more than that, but it's, 
it's tiny, but I think, look, they learned their lesson that Bitcoin mm. is not, it's not the easiest thing to predict. It doesn't just go to the moon. I, I just know as an institution, people say, well, I could do that myself. Give me the cash back. And as a shareholder, I put money into Bitcoin or I put money into gold sure. or I put money into. Yeah, it's bonds. just not the right play. I yeah. agree with that. Like, that's not what your job is. It shouldn't be buying Bitcoin. So that was a big, big, as you remember, that caused me to get out of Tesla for a while. Because I remember. It's, a, Last it's, year. it's just you don't do that as an institution. You don't mm -hmm. you don't see. I mean, there's only three companies I know of and they're all they all have these capital allocation issues. One, of course, was with Square. And one is um, MicroStrategy, which is, you know, yeah. Michael Taylor. And you just don't see CEOs saying, oh, I'm going to put a bunch of money into Bitcoin. It just, it's, it's such a, it's such a, it's such an, it's such an anti-shareholder thing to do that you'd never do. Okay. So, okay. So, so, so do I think they're going to continue to put money in Bitcoin? I said, no, I, I think they, they learned their lesson. My, my bigger worry would be, and it may be a good thing, will they take their cash and start buying stuff? And so we've talked yeah. about some of the things they could buy. Um, they could buy, you know, some restaurant chain and, you know, stick it in, in, in all their supercharging stations rather than what I would rather than do is, you know, get McDonald's or get Starbucks, you know, the, to, to pay some fee so that they can get access, you know, yeah. to those charging stations. That would be a bad use of capital. Um, if they bought, you know, if they vertically integrated and bought, you know, a lithium miner or you know, some battery company, that would be a good acquisition as long as they didn't yeah, and people would yeah. respond favorably to that, but people don't want to see them go into some, you know, business off to the side like a restaurant business. That that, that, that would not be a good use of their cash. No, can I, I, I see that. that. Okay, can uh, I do my second question first? Sure, yeah, I'll for get it. there. Yeah, yeah. Um, when you saw, and Cindy, I would like you to pull that graph up. Uh, when you saw the votes, the shareholder votes for the board members this year, and that's going back to your point that you said Elon has so much. Um, Exactly. If you can just go on the on the chart, Cindy, and make that big. Exactly. Only five percent of the people voting for the shareholder um, proxy were against Elon. I mean, this is incredible. That I've hardly seen such a, such a result, and uh, and I think it's really worth we point this out because nobody's talking about it. The the press is certainly not talking about it. Uh, GB Strobel had fourteen percent against him, and Robin, who really had to take a lot of heat these last. 12 months, right? Because everybody was screaming against the board. What's the board doing? Uh, missing in action and whatever. Only 25% against him, which is considerably less than what happened last year against Ira and Kathleen. So I just want to point out what a strong board we have with so much uh, with so, so much support from the shareholders. Look, the 5% um, against Elon is an extremely low number from what I've seen. You know, there's always people who want to throw out management. Um, I didn't think the Robin number was that surprising. I actually thought the 25 or so was actually, you know, higher than what I thought it would have been. And remember, the stock has had an amazing run this year. It was terrible last year, but I, you know, and a lot of times people vote with their memory. And you know, if if the if the stock is doing well, they're happy with the board. Mm -hmm. If the stock isn't doing well, they're not. But what I was happy to see is that people overwhelmingly support Elon Musk. And I don't. I talked to lots of institutions. I don't know any, like I said, serious institution who thinks Elon should go away. They are all so happy that he's not leaving, that yeah. he, he hired somebody to run Twitter, and now he's going to focus on this because that's what he loves. It's his passion, and he's good at it. You know, mm. he, you know sometimes things take a while to get done, like Cybertruck and FSD, but you know, he, he's tackling big, big projects. 
Mm. They're hard. They're hard to get FSD to work. Yeah. It's supposed to. So I'm very happy that he's still CEO. He isn't going anywhere. Because I was thinking about that. I said, if he were to announce, not that he would do that in, 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 in an investor in an, an annual meeting, you wouldn't do it in that forum. But if he were to announce that he's stepping aside as CEO and he's going to stay as, you know, the head of product and he's bringing in, I don't know, name somebody, um, Herb Deese to run the company, that would be bad. And, and a lot of institutional investors would follow me out the door. But he's still a CEO. He still seems actively engaged. That's a great thing for Tesla shareholders. And it sounds like he's going to be there for quite a while, because if I remember correctly from the investor day, he he signaled that until, you know, until they're very far along their AI sort of investments with the bot and all mm -hmm. that good stuff, which is going to have a long lead time, I'm guessing, at least five to 10 years, right? It's going to be a significant yeah, time. He's got like four or five really big projects that, you know, he's working on and, you know, Cybertruck and getting the cost down 50% so he could expand the TAM to the masses. And look, that that is... That is such a great strategy. And, and I just want to make that distinction versus discounting. You have to have a bigger and bigger team. You, you read Master Plan 1. It's all about Roadster to Model S to Model 3 and now Model 2. That That is what they should be doing. If you were to come up with a blank sheet of paper today, that's the way you expand TAM and that's the way you accelerate EV adoption and that's the way you accelerate the world's transition to sustainable energy. That's all what you need to do. I think that's a very different plan, though, than you know when people start arguing with me about discounting, and I say, you know, you don't want to keep discounting because you're training people to wait. And we could talk about that because you know there was something last night where you know they doubled the amount of inventory discount on Model Three. For Model Three, yeah. But 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 that's different. That's and, and Elon has said it, and he said it, you know, when he tried to answer my question at the end. But he also said on the conference call, he said, look, what I'm trying to do is balance essentially supply and demand. And when you look at the numbers and, you know, the bulls seem to forget this, they've been increasing production at the rate of about 45% year over year while underlying demand in, in effect deliveries is increasing at 35% year over year. So that's going to cause that the difference between production and, and deliveries is going to cause a change in inventory. And so what they're doing is they're trying to keep the inventories. One of the things they're trying to do is keep the inventories from getting too high. And what was interesting about last night and I wasn't negative on this. I was actually positive. It looks like they're trying to make room for a refresh Model 3 at some point. But they can't announce that yet because then nobody would buy a Model 3. The old one, exactly. Right? So so in, in the, the, the inventory discount on Model Y was only $500. And the, the discount on Model 3 performance was mm -hmm. only $500. So I'm okay with that. But just don't mm -hmm. confuse the mission of affordability, which is bringing out a new product. It's a much lower cost. And that's the next gen vehicles that he talked about at the investor day that drives affordability. That's consistent with the mission. Whereas when they're discounting the inventory, they're just trying to clear, you know, the excess supply that's in the system today for whatever reason. And model three, has got its own issues because you got a refresh coming, I believe, you know, so, okay. so that, that's just an important distinction. Right? Cause I get into a lot of debates with people about that. I'm a big fan of affordability. I'm a big fan as you know, uh, you guys have talked to me about this, of bringing out a $25,000 vehicle. I've been talking about it for two years. And the fact that they're doing it is actually a great thing because that's consistent with the mission and it'll dramatically expand the TAM. If, if they want to get to anywhere close to 10 million units by 2030, you've got to have a twenty-five dollars to $30,000 car because that's where the message is. And who's going to lose? Toyota's going to lose as a result of that because that's yeah. a good player there. So I'm a yeah. big fan of that. I'm not a big fan 
of discounting Model Y because they don't need to. They, there's no inventory of Model Y. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm very perplexed of why, you know, they're just, and it's interesting because they took the Model Y price up by 250 and then 250, and now they're discounting it on the inventory. You've got to understand from a financial modeling standpoint, when you discount existing inventory, that's a one-time, one-and-done discount. Once the inventory is gone, you're back to the old price. Where yes. when you cut price, if you're modeling this, it's in perpetuity. You have to cut the price forever until you take prices up again. So, And I try to explain this to some of the bears that I talked to. I said, you don't get this. You're not making a distinction between an inventory discount and a price cut. But it's a huge difference because one is just one and done. And then mm -hmm. you're back to the old price. You know? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I would like to transition to, to macroeconomics because we had obviously sure. the NVIDIA results and we had uh, Jensen Wang so positive for the next 12 months, right? Yeah. I mean, couldn't have been better. And at the same time, we had Elon a couple of weeks back so negative about the next 12 months. So what is it, right? And is it really more negative for what's still considered a car maker versus all this positive mm -hmm. anticipation of AI and and Tesla not understood stood really as an AI play. What's your take on all this? Look, we're not in a recession, and uh, let's distinguish what a recession is. A recession is when GDP, real GDP, is falling for at least six months, and you know that that doesn't even technically qualify as a recession. We're not in that. Fourth quarter GDP was two point six. First quarter GDP was one three. The Atlanta GDP now, you know, uh, macroeconomic estimator is plus one nine. So we're definitely not in recession. Right. So one of the things, but but what, what is happening, and then we'll talk about Tesla in a minute, what is happening is the people at the low end of the economy, the lower income people are hurting because inflation has been too high and they, they don't have a lot of money. So you saw it with Dollar General today, Dollar Tree last week, you know, they're guiding much lower because people who, you know, don't have a lot of money they're basically saying, look, I've got to spend, I, I don't have as much money because of inflation and I got to spend my $400 or $500 a week, which is limited. And I'll have to buy, and it's being eaten away by inflation. I'll buy necessities with it, but I'm not going to, you know, spend it on sneakers. For instance, we sold our Nike position because we just felt that that's one of the first things you see go if you have a recession. So what I don't know is, is the fed going to be so stupid to keep raising rates? And right now it's, it's hard to know the, Inflation has been sticky coming down, but if you exclude um, food, energy, and housing, you know, inflation is actually running at about 3% year over year. And there's a website called True, True, I think it's called True Inflation, where they actually try to exclude True inflation. Yeah. And it's it's up 3%. So that's that, that should be enough to say to the Fed, we're going to break something. We've already had a situation where you've had three banks where the deposits are going out the door because people could earn more money in a treasury bill for three months than they can in a savings account or a CD or a, or a chicken account. And that you don't want to exacerbate that situation. So I hope, and this is, this is why I can't tell you what the economy is going to do, because I don't know what the Fed's going to do. I hope the Fed says, you know what, let's just pause. Let's not do anything on June 14th. Let's just see where we are and give it a month or two and figure it. And that's why you, you hear the Fed being split. You got the hawks saying, no, we got to raise rates again. And you got the doves saying, you know, maybe we should just wait a couple of months and pause for now. And I do believe that when we get to June 14th, we're going to see a pause. And they won't frame it as a pause. It'll be a hawkish pause where they'll keep talking up. Inflation's got to come down more, but they won't raise rates. And I think the market will respond favorably to that. 
And I think at the end of the day, you've got to have, you know, a soft landing get navigated because if they keep raising rates at the rate they've been, you could have a hard landing and then it starts hurting a Tesla. I don't believe the economy has hurt Tesla orders. I do believe that as interest rates have gone up because 70% of people who buy a car, you know, they, they get a loan or they get a lease. Um, it does hurt affordability, but just remember the people who buy Teslas are not lower income. You know, it, it generally skews upper income. And so they're in a better position than people who are buying at Dollar General or Dollar Tree. Sure, you know, sure. I mean, ask a quick question on that so so then help me understand sort of the disconnect between uh what the gdp saying which is which is kind of a trailing indicator and signals from like an elon musk that's you know investor day and uh shareholder meeting he keeps signaling to the next 12 months being tough from an economic standpoint is that do you think this is a that that maybe there's forward-looking signals that he's using to gauge this, or do you think it's a sandbag or trying to to temper expectations? How do you think about that? Where where is the disconnect? I don't think it's a sandbag at all. I think he's trying to make an excuse of why people are taking estimates down. Look, the stock has not done well, you know, over the last twelve months, and it's done well this year. But remember, Tesla was down fifty-five percent in the fourth quarter. Nasdaq was flat. OK, so this year you see Tesla up, whatever, 65 percent, but down 55 and up 65 doesn't get you to the same spot. as my old math teacher would tell you. So I think he's trying to make excuses for why, you know, the stock hasn't done well in saying we're in a recession. We're not in a recession. But where I agree with Elon 100 percent is if the Fed keeps pushing rates up, they're making a very bad policy mistake because it will cause a recession. So when he says, you know, it's the economy that's causing us to do poorly. I don't even know what he means by that. I can tell you estimates are down tremendously for a stock. And look, so let's go back to fourth quarter last year. You could see the discounting starting in China. You could see that they were putting on discounts in the fourth quarter. Uh, you knew they were going to have to take price down, which they did in January. And at the same time, in the fourth quarter, you saw Elon sell $23 billion with the Tesla stock, which caused the stock to get you know, crushed in the fourth quarter. And then this year, you know, it's, it's interesting. Like, why is Tesla doing so well this year? I think part of it is, you know, growth stocks have been done much better than value stocks this year. It's the mirror image of last year. But I also think that once you got to the annual meeting, you had people say, okay, second quarter is probably going to be the bottom for gross margins, which is an important indicator that everybody looks at. And they're not really cutting price. When you're, when you're taking some discounts on inventory, that's very different from cutting price. So, I think the reason the stock has done much better than even though we're quote unquote going into recession is is because people are saying second quarter will be the bottom in gross margins, probably around 17 percent is my estimate. They were 19 in the first quarter. But remember, they were 30 percent last year, gross margins, auto gross margins, ex-regulatory credits. So they've really come down a lot. And that was because they took prices down and they didn't get any response in terms of volume. You know, usually when you take prices down, if there's an elasticity greater than one, you take prices down by 15, 20%, you get a 15% jump in volume. You didn't get that. And I back to the advertising question, I don't I don't know what the management team talks about at Tesla, but they've got to be thinking to themselves, we're not getting that much of a response to the price cut, surprising. Even though they would always talk about, we could sell every product that we make, and when we cut price, you know, the elasticity of demand is so high, it really isn't, you know? So I think that's one of the other reasons they're open to trying advertising. So. Back to your question about the economy, I think the economy is losing steam. If the Fed raises rates again, 
it, it, it increases the odds we do go into recession. If the Fed pauses, then I think it, it increases the odds. And, and what is 25 basis points worth? It's symbolic. I think it increases the odds that we can navigate some sort of a soft landing and we can avoid, you know, we'll, we'll probably go into some sort of recession later this year, but I don't think it's going to be deep and I don't think it's going to last that long. And therefore, I don't think it's going to hurt Tesla that much because you go into a deep recession and people stop buying um, cars and houses and things like that. I mean, you go through some of the data that's out there right now, which would tend to make you be worried. Um, housing prices are down uh, year over year, uh, the most since two, 2000 and, um, 2009. Uh, credit card balance are the highest they've been since 2009. Um, money supply, which is you know savings account, checking account, is the, the, the steepest decline we've had in 60 years, okay? Um, so you got a lot of things that are warning signs, but on the other hand, you got inflation coming way down. I don't know if you saw the Eurozone uh, CPI, mm -hmm. not just our Fed, all the Feds are, are being restrictive. They beat on inflation for May uh, by, by a, a lot. I mean, they, they were much lower than people thought they were going to be. So I think as long as inflation continues to come down, I think the Fed's going to be able to pause and we'll be okay. And I, I would even like to add that the revisions of their job numbers, you know, which are consistently and constantly revised to the worst. I mean, they are, whenever they come out, we, we have the feeling it's a strong job market. Whenever you look at the revisions, you understand that it's not a strong job market. And that's now been going on for five, six months, right? And I mean, the Fed is not as stupid as we all think they are. They have the numbers, they have all these economists there. So if their own only argument is we still have a strong job market, they should look at the revisions and that proves a completely different picture, right? We don't have that strong a job market anymore. Right. Yeah. So for people like you and me and, and Farzad who don't live in that lower income bucket, I don't. <laughs> um, those are the people who are being affected by the economy. They're not Tesla buyers. You know, the people that go to Dollar General and Dollar Store, they're getting crushed because yeah. inflation is taking away That's their true. ability to, um, yeah. You know, that's to, some extra buck. Yeah. And so they're not buying a dollar general. And that's that's what when people talk about the economy, when I hear CEOs who are of these you know lower income type products, I'll take them seriously. But when Elon's talking about the economy, it's hard for me to get that excited about it because the average person who buys a Tesla is an over index to you know income. They're they're making mm -hmm. more than the average person. So I'm not yeah. I'm not that way back. But if the Fed keeps pushing. Then I'll start wearing the Well, let me let me give you two points that, that I see that where I might be in the other camp where I'm more concerned about recession than not. So anecdotally speaking, so you know, I, I go to a barber shop in Round Rock and and that I go there, I try to go every month so I don't look like a homeless person, right? I look like one now, so I'm due for one, as Cindy would say. But uh, you know, I talk to the owner there, I talk to people, and the I hear louder and louder voices, sort of what you're talking, Gary, where People are having a tougher, tougher time paying their bills. Less people are going for haircuts. The owner is like, yeah, we're usually busy around this time and people just can't come in for a haircut, right? So that's a concerning point for me. And then uh, one of the things I've been trying to really get into is into the broader auto market in the United States. And so uh, when I look at the sales from OEMs into dealers and dealership sales out to customers, you have this thing where dealer lots are getting filled up 
and they're not getting the nearly the same amount of volume they did in the previous year before the Fed started raising rates. So now you have this thing where the auto dealer, uh, the, the the auto companies are basically dumping inventory on dealer lots and it's just sitting there. And of course, that's a that's a uh, function of price. That probably means dealers need to bring down their pricing. But I think there's there's clear evidence that says that the broader auto market is suffering uh, in in the latest sort of quarters. And so when I look at those two things, and then you talked about the housing numbers, uh, you talk about uh, you know inflation coming down dramatically, which again is is a function of people buying less stuff, less not not as quickly, right? So the prices are coming down, and so. My concern is that current rates right now is what's causing this. And so if you don't reverse that, then you're destined to get into a recession versus versus not raising more. Does that make any sense? Yeah, I don't know if yeah, you have any feedback right. there. And that's why I hope the Fed come later this year starts cutting rates because okay. payments are too high. If you look at like lease versus buy of a house, it makes so much more sense to rent today because <laughs> The cost of buying a house has gone up dramatically because yeah. the interest rate has gone up, right? And so you got to get raised from that. And I do believe the Fed looks at all that stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. So I'm hopeful once the Fed gets to June, they pause. And then once they get to the fourth quarter, I believe they'll see all the signs pointing to, to your point that we are potentially going into recession. They will start cutting rates because they look, they don't want us to go in recession, especially not in election year. They don't right. want to like have yeah, the election exactly. thrown because you know people blame biden because he's the president and you're now in a recession in an election year that's just that's not the feds they, they hate that you know yeah and they have to continue talk tough until the moment where they're gonna lower rates right they can't start softening uh before they do it i just want to add a couple of anecdotal stuff first i go to dollar store i mean i may not look it but i do yeah. because i, I <laughs> i'm quite uh frugal on those things. Second is um, we did a couple of trips. Austin, obviously, you all know about. Uh, I had my daughter's graduation. The planes are still full. Yeah. There are people in the airports like crazy. Oh, yeah. There are people in hotels. It's crazy. We had pro problems finding hotel rooms. It, it's absolutely mad. And credit card debt is nearly at the 2008 levels right here in the United States now. This are, these are all signs that we're really very, very close to breaking. And they have to make careful to be careful to not overstretch it at the Fed because this is there is not much wiggle room left. And um, and so I do believe I agree with you. They will eventually lower rates. They can't really talk about it until they're at that point. But if in June they don't raise rates, I think the whole market is really gonna go up in a much more confident manner. Yeah. Kenneth, just I just want to curious to hear your thoughts on this because what the way you explain it, Alexander, right now is kind of where it feels like we're at a breaking point. It feels like the camel's back, right? It's about to, it's just about to break. So, what do you do? You think there's just a psychological thing going on where we've exited COVID? People were cooped up in their houses for a year and a half. They couldn't do anything. And uh, a lot of people are like, you know what? I don't really care. I'll figure it out. I'm just going to live my life. And this mm -hmm. is what's carrying the economy. Do you think there's possible. any merit to that? Definitely. Yeah, possible. Yeah, yeah you look at, there's 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 you, you mentioned a couple things. So you look at cruise ships, you look at Las Vegas bookings, and you look at airline miles. All three of them are record highs. All three of yeah. them, which is inconsistent with you know these retailers like Dollar Tree and Dollar General saying you know mm. we're seeing people cut back on uh, anything but necessities. And so so to your point, far as that, I think you're right. I think people were cooped up for two years or a year and a half when COVID was, was in there saying, look, I'm going to, I'm going to go travel. I mean, 
Airbnb is doing just fine. And, you know, to your point, credit card debt is extremely high. And also, you know, luxury goods are still doing quite well. You know, you know, Louis Vuitton's doing fine. Sephora is doing fine. Um, Ferrari and Porsche are both doing fine. <laughs> you know? So so I do think you have to segment the, the people who are at the very bottom of the economic system. They're struggling because of inflation. But anybody above that seems to be doing OK. And they're going on cruises. They're flying. They're renting out Airbnbs. Uh, they're going to Vegas, you know, and that's 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 all that's all positive. So I I think the, the only thing that makes me concerned is the Fed has been very, very slow. They were slow to start responding to inflation and they seem to be slow, you know, in the rearview mirror at, you know, bringing rates down or at least pausing. I just worry that if they raise rates again, it's going to send a very bad signal to people that, oh, OK, rates are going higher. And maybe that'll cause people to even cut back because they're thinking the Fed isn't going to stop. Yeah, that's a risk. But I mean, you did, you did see the indicator who was, I think, above 70 percent a couple of days ago, the market anticipating another right raise in in, uh, in June going down to the low 30s, right, in, in the last two, three days. So I do believe people, you know, are like you, not anticipating that much um, the the Fed to, to move in June, and that will help. I, I I said that yesterday, and I want to say that again. I think this is the market to be in stock. I mean, there's so much cash sitting on the sidelines, not ready yet to to jump into stock. And I think the when the moment comes, we will have a, a major move upwards, not only in Tesla, but in other stock as well, just because so many people have been sitting on the sidelines with cash or in bonds, short-term bonds, and, and obviously this week again with the Treasury issuing more, um, that uh, when that money becomes available and the stock market has overperformed, they will all come back. Anyway, you bring up a good point that everybody has to be prepared for. Once the debt deal is approved by the Senate, which should be today or tomorrow at the latest, then, you know, the Treasury can start issuing a lot more debt. It's all short term. And you could see short term rates spike up and that could cause the market to hiccup, you know, because you mm -hmm. see, you know, the, the, the short term, you know, not, not, not the 10 year, the 10 year seems to be holding in there fine. But it's three month, six month Treasury bills, which is where all the issuance is going to be you're going to have to raise the rates to get people to take all that paper because people are talking, you know, it could be 50 to a hundred billion dollars, you know, and that, that, that's, that's going to be real. And so that can be negative in the short term and people should just be aware that that's going to happen, but it's going to be temporary. Right. Yeah. Okay. So now I put the finger where it hurts. So why is Tesla still your number two after Google? You know, if, if, if all this materializes as you see it, wouldn't Tesla be a, a bigger bet than, than Google? Look, we, we made a decision that we didn't want Tesla to be our number one position because the risk reward, and this is before earnings, right? We just saw that estimates were not high enough. So we took the position down. And then when I got convinced after listening to management that they weren't going to take prices down that much further, they, they, you know, they, they had done what they had to do. We bought half the position back. So we're back at about 8%. Could we be higher? We could have been. Um, I think from a risk reward standpoint, Google just offers more upside versus downside. I don't see much downside in Google. And now I got AI helping it. And, and I never really saw Bing getting that much market share in the search business. In the meantime, you, you know, you've got the cloud, you've got YouTube, and I don't believe there's going to be a recession. So I don't think you're going to see that much of a cutback in advertising. And you know, Google is at 17, 18 times earnings and it's growing at 15%. It's got similar growth versus PE as Tesla. 
but Tesla's higher risk. Tesla's got a 1.6 beta. Google's got a, you know, 0.9 beta. So when I try to be disciplined and say, okay, what deserves to be the biggest position? Google's going to do better than Tesla, unless I could get convinced that, you know, Elon is going to do all the right things. And sometimes I just don't know with Elon. I, I, I hope he does the right thing. But sometimes I just worry that, you know, will Cybertruck really come out this year? Will he not discount if inventories, um, you know, spike up? And so far, so good. He's discounting on inventory only. He's not yeah. discounting across the board. So he's doing all the right things. And, you know, obviously, since the annual meeting, stock's up 22%, NASDAQ's up 5 You know, would I like it to be our top position? Sure. You know, it's just, it, but it's an 8% position, which is still a big position. Sure. I feel very comfortable with it at 8%. It's still bigger than... I think Ross has it at seven, you know, but yeah. I think Kathy's at 10 and, you know, I know. Um, well, in, in her RQ, she's at 14. It's a flagship. The flagship's at yeah. 10. So, yeah. But, yeah. But, but, but it is a high risk uh, stock. And, you know, look, your number one position, it should, it should have your the, the highest probability weighted upside downside. I mean, you put an upside, you probability weight it, you come up with a downside or different downside scenarios, you probably weight that. And, you know, to me, Google has still got higher probability weighted upside versus downside. But Tesla is a number two position, eight percent is still a big bet. You know, for third. You're so logical. Oh, <laughs> logical, but we don't want to be emotional about investing. We want to be. I know. I got that. And I, look, I think we've been disciplined about Tesla. And would I, you know, do I wish I bought more? Back? We bought ours back at one sixty seven, one sixty eight, and we sold at one eighty. Do I wish we we had? Yeah, maybe, but 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 it's worked out for us, and our performance has been very. No, and and let me state that as well. I mean, you know, people know that I'm in your fund, but that's exactly what I want from a fund manager, right? If it would only be about me and my emotions and my enthusiasm of Tesla, I wouldn't have to diversify into a fund, right? I'm I'm using FSND exactly for that reason that um, that you do that in a much more disciplined manner than I would do it. And we wish more people were thought like you. You've got Tesla as a big position. You know, rather than pick 30 stocks yourself to get a diversified portfolio, we would no. much prefer that you let us pick 30 stocks because sure. that's what we do for a living and hope that they, you know, they do just as well as Tesla. I mean, this year, if you look back at the last year, you know, full year, Tesla's down mm -hmm. 90%, whereas uh, NASDAQ's up 13. And, yeah. you know. Yeah, 2022 was difficult. Yeah. yeah. So. So it's it's hard and, and look the, the, this whole AI craze. You know, we own Nvidia. We own it at about two percent weight. You know, um, but it's up so much. It's up. Uh, you know, year to date, it's up a hundred and sixty percent, give or take. And it's up a crazy number. And at some point, you know, you, you can't like Nvidia up. Let's call it one hundred sixty percent as much as you know when it wasn't up that. It's up one hundred seventy two percent year to date. Okay, mm. we haven't cut back on our position. We still own what we did because. From a PE standpoint and a price earnings growth standpoint, it actually looks cheaper than it did because when they guided higher, everybody had to take their estimates up. So this year, NVIDIA is going to earn about seven bucks. Next year, it's going to be about nine bucks. If mm. you say, okay, at $400, which is where the stock is trading right now, you know, let's use $9. It's only trading at 44 times earnings, but it's growing earnings at 25% a year. That's like the same using Wall Street estimates. That's the same price earnings growth ratio is is what their growth ratio is Tesla's at. So, yeah. you know, and we're looking for stocks like that that can take advantage of these mega trends that we've identified. You know, people want to be fit. People want to travel more, um, you know, payments, 
Uh, automation is a mega trend. We talked about climate uh, sustainability and climate change is a big mega trend. 24-7 information entertainment. Those are all mega trends. We all look for stocks that try to leverage those mega trends. And NVIDIA is something we've owned since we started the fund because yeah. we thought, um, you know, data chip, data office and data chips and, and AI were, were a big, big mega trend. And we just never had it as a big position because it was a risky stock in our mind. Yeah, let me, yeah, go ahead. I want to real quick. Uh, before we do that, producer wife, can you bring up uh, Gary's uh, fund, please? The future fund ticker FFND. There you go. Make sure you check it out. Look at that, Gary. I got your back. See, you're, 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 I went you're to your wife are just such a great tag team together. I love it. Thanks, brother. Thank you, man. Yeah, she, she, uh, this show, uh, I didn't have her yesterday and it was a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> Today's going to be Wives are good, don't you think? Husbands and wives are good. Oh, my God. Incredible. The, the greatest partner of all time. Uh, so make sure you check that out, ticker FFND. You can also find it at futurefundetf.com. You can also find Gary Black on Twitter. And one more thing. We're launching our long short product on the 20th, uh, the day after Juneteenth. So that'll be FFLS for Future Fund Long Short. It'll be probably 30 longs, 30 shorts. And it'll be, you know, the, the longs will look similar to what's in Future Fund. And the shorts are, you know, names that we just think can can do really well in a choppy environment. And we look for businesses that are going to get disrupted, businesses where we think, you know, management's just not on track or not taking advantage. So, so think of Lucid. Lucid, even though it's got a very high short interest rate, so we've hated Lucid since the get-go. And I'm not saying we would still be big in Lucid because it's down another, what, 14 15% today. But think of the guys, the companies that lose, that get disrupted because of Tesla, and so you think about um, Lucid, obviously, is, is not doing as well as Tesla. And, and they're only selling, what do they sell, 1,400 cars in the first quarter. And they're still telling people they're going to sell 10,000 cars. 10,000 for the whole year. Okay? It's, it's got a $13, $14 billion market cap, which is absurd. Okay, yeah. But think of Toyota. Toyota is not doing anything on the EV side. You know, It's a cheap stock, but it's going to get disrupted because it's not moving as aggressively as it needs yeah. to. To build out EVs, so those are the type of shorts you're going to see, um, and we'll we'll talk about them. And I promised um, Alexandra we'll do a, a spaces event just to talk about our short ideas on the twenty first. Nice. I know I blocked my I blocked my morning agenda. Just so and FFND, those are the two tickers. Exactly. And I put money aside to get into it because I think that's going to be very interesting. So just from a technical point, because I'm nosy. Um, so let's say you would be long Tesla, you would have the same amount in the short position of just speculating Lucid. Is it is it like that you match or is yeah. it more by sector? How do you how yeah. do you gonna do it? Well, shorts you gotta be a little more careful. I would never have a 10% short position. It's just too much. And if we're wrong, you know, if you're wrong on a short, your exposure goes up. If you're wrong on a long, you know, your exposure goes down. And you just you look, we, we all get some things right and some things wrong. And a, a good portfolio manager gets 60 to 65% of his or her bets right. But when you're wrong, you don't want it to blow up the portfolio if you're wrong. So exactly, I, I think, you know, you're not going to see short positions more than probably 3%. And so, you know, there'll be more equally weighted than what we have with future funds. Because you, you, you don't want to have your shorts too big. Because again, if you're wrong, and, and you could be wrong in so many ways, you know, especially if you've got high short interest rates. So take Lucid, it's got a 24% short interest. A lot of people would never short Lucid because the the, 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 the Saudis, which own 60.5% of it, could buy it out tomorrow. Now, mm -hmm. the fact that they're not and they're, they're going the opposite direction, you know, they decided last night they weren't going to just, you know, buy out the rest oh, of it. They're, yeah. they're, to me, 
that that would tell me our our thoughts on Lucid are probably accurate that they're not mm-hmm. going to buy it out. But that's that's the risk in, in having a short that's too big that you get somebody buy it out. And look, they're underperforming companies. They're the type of companies that do get bought out in the marketplace. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I mean, I've followed the Saudis a lot on Credit Suisse just because I was in that sector before. It started 20 years ago, the drama of Credit Suisse. And they stepped in and then everybody thought no matter what, they will save Credit Suisse. And you know exactly what happened a couple of months ago. They just said, that's it and draw the line. And that was the end of Credit Suisse. So it will only go as far as it will go. Yeah. Oh, I think you lost Gary. Is Gary frozen or is it just me? Yeah. Gary, you're frozen. Can you hear us? One, two. Uh Oh, okay. We'll get him back. (laughs) Let me ask you this question and then uh, hopefully he'll be back here any, any second. So one of the things he, he mentioned was uh, a tailwind. Uh, So, so AI was going to be, is a mega trend that's going on right now with other things. Right. And then uh, I I was going to ask him this question, but I'll ask you this question. Do you think this is something that also applies to a company like Tesla where they have full self-driving the bot, they have the dojo chip. Do you think they would benefit from this mega trend? How do you think about that? Well, sure will. The question is, do people understand it, right? And I was very happy because yesterday, for the first time, somebody on CNBC mentioned it. I mean, obviously, the other people around the table were like flag of us, but that that's the way it goes. So the the, um, I mean, I think people don't understand the different players on, on AI and how it goes. They can understand that the Googles and the Microsoft and the open AIs are in this field. They can, because they see JetGPT, they see, you know, these things now uh, being able to be tested. Um, I think they they understand that you need NVIDIA chips to build it and, and make it strong and performing, but they don't understand yet the vision AI being much more of a real time and real life application than just the language model, right? And so I, I had this argument with a couple of people telling me, oh, but language, um, artificial intelligence is much more complicated than vision. You bet. I mean, excuse me, no. Um, you have at the moment a, a full internet available with language. What is available with vision other than uh, FSD from Tesla? There isn't. So if if um, Tesla would like to, and they're actually already having parts of it uh, with, with language, right? Because when you're driving a, a Tesla, there are messages there. It's not as if it's just a car operating all by itself. There is still, there's already some interaction. So, yeah. so yeah, good, He's you're back. back. Let me just finish this point and I'll give it back to you. So, so yes, there is no doubt for me that Tesla is a major player, if not the major player in AI, but also, uh, yes, that there is currently only very few people understood this. For them, it is about the Googles, Microsoft, and open AIs. It's about the NVIDIAs. I think they don't understand either that to get uh, op- uh, to get AI to every remote place in this world, which we have to go, we probably need much more satellites. We need much higher you know, internet accessibility. And that part, people don't understand either. I mean, that's, that's a completely other chapter. But the next one to be made understandable, and like I said yesterday on CNBC, this slowly started, uh, will be understanding that vision AI is so much further advanced and so much more useful than language AI. Gotcha. Sorry about that, Gary. Yeah, sorry, Gary. Uh, the the uh, the question was uh, one of the things you described as a mega trend was AI, and then you have uh, others as well. But AI is one of the ones that's starting to appear. How much of that do you think is going to be a tailwind for Tesla's valuation? Do you think Tesla falls in that bucket? I'd love to get your thoughts around that. Yeah, that's for you, Gary. 
Well, coming out of the annual meeting, I think there was a, a newfound. Can you hear me? Yeah, you were lagging there. Can you guys hear me? Perfect. Yeah. Okay. There's a newfound appreciation for, and look, it coincided with NVIDIA basically, you know, giving a, an estimate that nobody had ever seen before for a mega cap company. So people were looking for how Tesla could be in the AI space. So people want to believe, but, you know, they have to produce a prototype that can actually work and then mass produce it. And, you know, until the prototype is actually developed and until they, they say that they can mass produce it, will you actually believe that it's happening? And that's, that's the challenge that we don't know with Tesla. Um, will it actually happen or not? It, it should because they hire the best engineers and they seem to have been able to do it with FSD. But at the same time, we haven't seen a product yet. We've seen a bunch of pictures. So I'm not sure, um, you know, I'm not sure if it's going to happen or not. You know? Gotcha. But I do believe it's one of the things that's moved the valuation. Gotcha. Um, if you don't mind muting in between, Gary, I think there's some noise coming in uh, from behind you. Yeah. <laughs> it's, almost getting it's not me. It's my partner. He's, he's, he was on the phone. Now he's back in the office. He he check, check. <laughs> okay, that's funny. All right, cool. Um, I know we're a little over an hour. Uh, should we start a Q&A section soon? You guys we both got time, a little bit of time there, Gary, maybe 15, 20 minutes. Is that okay? Yeah, sure. Perfect. All right. So let's, uh, if you have any questions in the chat, uh, make sure you drop uh, a question with question before your question. Did I say question enough times? So it's easy for producer wife to bring it up. Um, any, any last topics we want to hit while a uh, producer wife gathers the questions? Do you have anything you wanted to hit before we do Q&A, Gary? I think Tesla is still in a good position. I mean, it's run a lot, um, but remember it was down a lot in the fourth quarter last year, but from a valuation standpoint, which at the end of the day, that's what PMs think about. Um, they think about catalysts and they think about valuation and maybe in not in that order, but it's still a cheap stock. Okay. So estimates have come way down this year. The street is at 350, let's call it for this year and 480 for next year. So if you do the math, you know, it's trading it on street estimates about 42 times next year. And the street's looking for about 27% earnings growth over the next five years. So that's a 1.5 PG. Just put in perspective, Apple and Microsoft both trade above two. So from a PM standpoint, it still looks reasonably cheap, but you gotta get people comfortable that they're not gonna keep cutting prices. And I, I think we're there. And I think, and this is the bottom line, I think the fact that they're willing to consider advertising says it's not just cutting price that's going to get them to the holy grail of expanded TAM. I think they're also thinking about, okay, we can accelerate EV adoption by educating people more about why an EV. And so I think that's a big positive. And from a valuation standpoint, people ask us all the time, how do you own Tesla? You know, it's such an extreme valuation. Well, most of these people who say that are looking in the rear view mirror and they're not looking forward and you got to look forward because that's what stock prices do. Yeah. So let, let me run a hypothetical and then we'll do Q&A. Say Tesla, say Tesla runs uh, one, one ad campaign and it's during the Super Bowl mm -hmm. and it's during the prime spot in the sort of the commercial. I don't know. Is it the, after the first break in the first quarter or something, whenever oh, or be yeah. right before the game starts, right? Well, it's right and it's like, half starts, yeah, it a yeah and it's a mind blowing uh, uh, freaking one minute slot. That's probably like $15 million, $20 million slot, however much it's going to cost. And it's just different from every other car company, which is likely to be because these guys seem to approach things differently. But how much would that do you think? Uh, just try to quantify how much would that change the perception for Tesla from a public's perspective and how how would that change your conviction 
in the stock and its valuation? Would it have a material effect if something like that were to happen? Well, remember, advertising is a long-term tool. Pricing is a short-term tool. So when you cut price, you get immediate gratification. Um, yeah. Advertising takes years to build brand equity or to educate. And so I always tell people, you know, they say, well, you just want your, your fund to go up. No, because you're not going to see much benefit in the short term if you do it now. You could have a, you know, like you said, a one 30 second, 60 second commercial, which everybody sees. And it's just mind blowing the way the Apple commercial was years ago, you know, where the guy you know, blew up the screen or whatever. And everybody started talking about it. It was what, 2000, whatever year that was, 2001, I think it was. But, I, but I, don't, born yet. I don't I don't think that's what you're going to have. I don't think, you know, you're going to see you got to see advertising work over time and it'll gradually increase EV adoption and it'll gradually convince people that an EV is better than a nice vehicle. OK, so I don't I don't see what you're saying happening. And I, if it did, I wouldn't suddenly say, OK, well, now my price targets four or five hundred. It's just not the way I would do it. I, I think. At this point, I need to see that advertising can supplement pricing to drive EV adoption. And that would make me increase my price target. That would make me increase my earnings estimates. And then I would increase my price because my, my, my price target is driven by my earnings estimates. And if it goes, if earnings estimates keep going down, because I've reduced my price target, then I would have to bring my price target down further. If they keep cutting price, I would have to bring the price target down lower. And everybody would do it and the stock would go lower. That's kind of the connection. Where if 208, 208. Huh? <laughs> 208? Is that where we're yeah. at? Okay. See? We should get together more often. See that? <laughs> Loving, <laughs> get together it. Stock. Loving it. <laughs> yeah, it's up 2%. NASDAQ's up one and a half. Oh, look at producer wife's on it, dude. My God. Wow. Yeah. Love it. Okay. Uh let's do some QA. Uh let's uh bring up only the best questions, which is all of them. Producer wife, go ahead and bring us the first question and uh we'll uh let the experts on the panel answer them, uh, which is not me. It's Alexandra and Gary. Farzad, thanks for setting this up. Could you ask Gary what his NVIDIA price target is for 2324? Thanks. You're the best. Uh, Gary, uh, do you have a price target for us? 2023. It's blown it away. And we gotta we gotta do some more work on to come up with a new new price target, to be honest with you. Um I I don't want to give you a number right now. We, we just have to do some more work on this because because we look the stock was a two percent position, you know we we had a price target that you know got taken out and now it's you know it's four hundred dollars and it's trading at forty five times. If just spitballing it, I would say two times growth, so maybe fifty times nine because that's what they're going to earn next year. Two times growth would be a fair way to think about it um that would be 450 so and that's why i try to tell people the other day i wouldn't be chasing this you'll see it pull back which it has and now it's up you know 21 bucks today but it was down a lot yesterday so it's a you know it, it's still got some upside but i would be getting a little bit more cautious here because the stock is up 178 in six months <laughs> which is crazy when you think about it nuts Awesome. Thank you, Gary. Let's do the next one. And James, a big uh, supporter of the channel. Thank you so much. Hey, Farzad, can we have Tesla Mama uh, to relate to us why Tesla is still suffering from a crappy bond rating? Greetings from Canada. Giddy up. Alexandra, what you got for us? 
Oh, um, so the bond rating is now uh, investment grade, but they obviously are still not paid. S&P may have gotten a little bit of money last year to do it early from from uh, Tesla because they missioned them to do a study on employment in California, as if Tesla wouldn't know themselves. But I mean, they made S&P or one of their subsidiary do, do it. So um, I do believe if only time will help us with that. I mean, obviously, as we're going to continue push for it as long as Tesla is not paying these rating agencies. Now, the question is, is it worth it or not? No, because at the moment, Tesla doesn't have debt, right? You you would issue bonds to, to get more money you know, into Tesla. Um, they would need or would want a bond rating and from, from both Moody's and S&P, and they would pay for it. For what is credit default swaps? Tesla already trades like a AAA company, right? For anything that Tesla needs for their financial engineering, they are already considered AAA for the open retail market. Well, so we were always pushing for being at least investment grade so that pension funds and some others who, who need an investment grade can have it. They have it. Now, yesterday I pointed out how ridiculous their ESG rating is still. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's just absolutely ridiculous. But uh, at least they're back in the index. And S&P was really naughty because they put them back in the index on the 21st of April. Nobody knew about it. I found it only yesterday because I was really searching for it and finally got it. So, so, I mean, this whole rating agencies game is such shenanigans. And I was very happy to see yesterday uh, Rowan Patel um, share a study on, you know, ratings, how they should be done by an institution who is not, which is not one of the big rating agencies. Where obviously Tesla was the number one car maker. Um, Toyota was very low. GM and Ford was about in the middle of that. I, I shared that if somebody wants to see that. But anyway, I mean, this whole rating market is as bad as it can get uh, completely influenced by anybody whatever we unfortunately still need these guys because the sec is not doing what they were supposed to do after 2010 when we had frank uh, dot frank and the congress told them to make sure that they don't have any influence anymore the sec is not doing their job they're still up there they're still um, parts of the SEC rules that require for certain funds these ratings. So we just have to keep pushing, 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 pushing. Yeah. Thank you. Do you think the bonds, though, are trading as a triple B? They're trading better than that, aren't they? Yeah, yeah they're triple. They are, they are trading better, but at the issuance, they're still up. Obviously, obviously, they were issued when they were still um, non-investment grade. And, and at the moment, they're not issuing anything. So I don't see... Tesla taking money. And, and as a shareholder, I don't want Tesla, um, you know, taking money in their hands, paying these rating agencies. I just don't. Oh, that brings me to a question, if I can put one in. Sorry about that. Yeah. Um, Gary, do you think Ford um, had to pay a royalty to get into this supercharging deal or is on a licensing deal where Ford pays not only the Ford drivers, but Ford, the company, pays something to Tesla? Yeah, it's a good question. I really don't know the answer. I I, I, yeah, I mean, I, as a shareholder, I really want them to pay, right? Yeah. I, I don't want this just to be given out for free. Well, and especially if you have to go and pull into a supercharger and you're behind some Ford F-150, you know, EV Lightning filling up or something. Exactly. Not... With their battery structure, who doesn't, who can't take the 250 charge, right? The whole thing is, I mean, I, I, I get the good sense out of it, but I want to make sure we get paid for it. Look, I, I think it's a good thing, and I've always been a fan of this because I think people, they get good advertising from it. You know, people call into the superchargers and they see the Tesla logo and they get to see all the Tesla cars. So it won't be that car, 
but it'll be their next car. It'll be more likely to be a Tesla. So I think Elon's taking a long-term perspective and saying this is a good thing. And it's good to be the standard uh, if you get GM and Stellantis and everybody else to follow suit. So I think it's it's smart on Tesla's part. And I realize it's going to inconvenience consumers who are used to having you know the charging stations just for themselves. But I think in the long term, it's good for Tesla stockholders. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, that, but I mean, when Farley said this was months in the making, this took a long time to get there. If it was just, oh yeah, sure, come and you get everything for free, um, it, it wouldn't have been months to negotiate. And the second thing is that Tesla allowed Ford to do all this charging on the Ford app rather than imposing them the Tesla app. I really hope they made them pay for that because I mean, that, that, that's a little bit too generous if there was no money flowing from it. Yeah, I think we'll hear more about it. Um, it's still so new that it, it, we don't know all the details about it, but I think more details will come out, especially if we get somebody else like GM or, you know, Toyota or Mazda or somebody. Rivian, Lucid. Do you think Lucid is going to come? <laughs> I don't know. There's a lot of bad blood between the two firms. Yeah. Yeah. I think, look, Lucid is, it's, it's not, it's, it, it's not going to go away because the Saudis have lots of money. But on the other hand, I don't. I, I just don't think it's going to do that well. And I've never thought it's going to. It's down what twenty percent today, give or take. I mean, it's it's been a terrible, terrible stock. And I look. I have a lot of people who call me up or DM me and say, "Why don't you like Lucid?" And it's like because it's in the wrong segment. It's in the luxury sedan segment. The prices started eighty nine grand for a Lucid Air. The Gravity, which is their SUV, is not coming out till you know sometime next year, maybe. And again, they did 1,400 cars deliveries in the first quarter. Think about that. You know, I mean, it's just, it's a crazy valuation for 1,400 cars. So yeah. it's hard for me to get excited about Lucid other than I think it's going to, the price is going to keep going down. Let's do the next one. Next question, please. And Chris Cage, $10 super chat. Thank you so much. Uh, another, uh, it goes into the beer fund. Fantastic. I haven't bought Gary or Alexandra beer yet. My goodness, or wine. How much is that mega pack? Uh, $2 million. How many do they make per day? Uh, what is the mega pack profit margin? How long is the ROI for the operator? What is auto bidder? Uh, my goodness, that's so many questions. <laughs> so uh, is there any of them that you want to take there, Gary? So um maybe the roi question well we don't know and we don't all we know is that the capacity is about ten thousand of these now before they open up you know the mega pack factory in china so you can do the math which is what we've done and said okay if you could make ten thousand of these and actually get them installed and get paid on them uh you know that's that's a big dollar amount that i can add to my energy p l um I don't think it's 50% margin. I really don't know, but I bet it's probably close to 30 because Elon's even said it, that it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's not going to be that much above where EVs are. He thinks it's probably about the same yeah. as what an EV makes. Um, the ROI for the operator, remember, these are being sold to a lot of communities as well. So you got governments buying them, local municipalities buy them as backup um, generators. So I don't know if you could think about an ROI the same way you would think about ROI on something else. Um, so yeah. I don't I don't know the answers to those last three questions. Yeah, I mean the, the way I, I think the the commentary around the fifty percent profit margin. I know it was some, it was the number thrown around before, but I think Elon's yeah. guidance was twenty to thirty percent. And if you look at energy's gross margin as they ramp, it hasn't really been able to break the low teens. So yeah. uh, I think it's going to be one of those wait and see where it ends up. And I, I would take Elon's word. I mean, it might surprise to the upside to maybe thirty five, but I I, I think the the 
it just depends. And then you also have the IRA tax credit, right, for the batteries as well that could heavily influence that. So so who knows how it yeah. pans out over time? Yeah, I agree with you that I agree with you that, you know, all um, subsidies and whatever are not included. But I mean, you can obviously imagine how many times I watched my question replaying. Uh, that, and, and one thing that was very clear, he said <laughs> energy is 20 to 25 percent, maybe go up to 30. So his, his pivot was really 25 percent. And, and I'm so happy that that was stated publicly because, I mean, all these people running around with 50% in their models, I'm, I'm really pleased that was, you know, keeping it, keeping our expectations much more real. And look, that's part of our goal as analysts. You, you don't you don't want to be too, um, too crazy with your numbers because you want, you know, tests to be able to beat the numbers. And I always tell people, why are you getting greedy? Like FSD is another example. People are saying, well, why don't you put anything in for FSD? I do. I include FSD and I assume about a you know 10 to 12 percent take rate in the out years, and I assume they continue to get fifteen thousand dollars and hundred and ninety-nine dollars a month. So you take deliveries times the take rate times that 10 percent, and that's a global number, you know, and you could split uh the lease cost and the purchase cost. And remember, with with buying it, you 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 recognize half of it in the first year and then half over, I think it's over five years. I, I'm not going to get greedy and then add on top of that a robo taxi network. You know, to me, that's being greedy. So I try to keep my numbers as because and look, if people if we could get the three hundred twenty dollars in a year, which is my price target, we would all be happy. Right. So why are people trying to get greedy and say, well, you should add another thousand dollars for robo taxi network? Why? You know? <laughs> I don't know, I just find it odd that people are so greedy. I think I think that the energy piece of the equation, I, I still feel like it's uh, you know, it still has tremendous potential. So sure. even if these, you know, the profit margin number was 25 percent and they're really making 30 per day uh, once they're fully ramped, you know, I think that 10,000 per year figure, right, it equates to that loosely. Then, of course, this is a giant chunk of change and it is going to help the test evaluation. But, um, yeah, it's going to it's going to be very I'm very curious to see how this is going to pan out over time. Um, cool. Let's do a couple more and then we'll wrap this sucker up. Next question, please. And the honest broker question. What, if anything, can must do to make you lose confidence in him as CEO and favor him stepping down? Whoa, what a what a big question. Uh, who wants to take this one first? It's a fascinating question. If they don't if they don't run advertising. Right. I'm kidding. <laughs> well, look, he, he's going to run advertising. And I guess what would make me nervous if they kept cutting price on Model Y. I don't mind them cutting price on Model 3 or SNX, but Model Y has no inventory. So that would just call into question, why are they doing it? And I would, look, would that make me lose confidence in him? No. I just would question it, which, you know, I can question it. <laughs> um, if they started making big acquisitions, you know, to, to get into new spaces that have nothing to do with the business, I guess that would scare me. If they bought more Bitcoin, that would scare me. Um, and look, I think like an institution, when I say I would do it, I think institutions would would, would would lose confidence if he did any of that stuff. I don't know, Alexandra, your thoughts? I mean, the, the problem I have is I'm so emotionally attached to Tesla and Elon that I take probably my my, my pain point is much higher than uh, than yours, I can I can take much more of his shenanigans and new projects and and walking away from stuff than than probably an institutional investor with a with a very um, clear investment horizon and alternatives will will do. But uh, but but I have to say, if he would really, I mean, the one thing probably would be 
um, if he completely steps away from Tesla, which I don't think it is, it's the biggest chunk of his of his investment. The other thing I was always wondering, you know, what happens if this Mars mission really includes him, right? What what would happen to my belief in Tesla? The thing is. Investor Day has solved that question. I was always very worried about key man risk and who would be number two and whatever. And that bench we saw in March, beginning of March, when they did Investor Day, that gave me a lot of comfort. So, so I'm less of a only Elon-centered fangirl now. I'm really more of a Tesla company fan fangirl. So I'm, I'm, you know, I agree with you. They could probably do some mistakes in the short run, and they do, and they admit them and they correct them. But uh, as long as it's in the margin of error, I'm still good. Yeah. Do, go ahead, Gary. Yeah, if I had to add something, it would be I would wish they could, you know, have more of a marketing element. And I know that's probably bad words to use, but I, I just when I use the word advertising, people all get crazy. But more education would be useful, mm -hmm. I think. And that, that would be the one knock that they have this view of let the product sell itself. And that's fine, but you're going to continue to have 30%, 35% delivery growth, and you got production growing at 40%, 45%. And he's going to keep you know, ramping up Berlin. He's going to keep ramping up Austin. He's going to get Mexico up and running. So I believe they can get production uh, growing, you know, continue to grow at 40 45%. 45% is what it's been growing. But mm. this idea that they can sell every product they make is just crazy. And, and, and I go back to, if that were true, why would they cut price? Right? You would just say, well, we're going to sell it anyway, so why would we cut price? So it goes back to what he has said, and he says it on the conference call and read the transcript from first quarter where he basically says, look, um, we look at it every day. We look at orders. We know what our production is, and we, we come up with a clearing price to clear our production and you know, put mm. in quotes, excess production. And so as long as they keep on making more than they, they sell, you're going to have this, this downward earnings pressure. And I... I, I, again, I don't know why you just can't take advertising as a second variable. Again, I'm not a physics person, but to me, multivariate equations are better than single variate equations. Sure, why do you, always. Why, why do you just have to have price as your one variable that drives EV adoption? Why can't yeah. you have two variables? And yeah, I give you that. It really, it really sounds stubborn. It's uh, okay. at least test it out. Yeah, I'd like to see more. And again, that's why Linda being around, I think if she was part of Tesla, that'd be great. But even part of Twitter, she'll be part of the senior management orbit around, you know, Elon and maybe some of her wisdom about advertising and how to measure ROI will rub off. I, I, there is a concept in business called diminishing marginal utility. And the first dollar, it's just like, hot, you know, if you're hungry and you eat a hot dog, that first hot dog tastes great. The sixth hot dog doesn't taste as good. And the same applies with pricing. When you cut price the first time, that's going to be your biggest bang for the buck. And that first dollar of advertising is going to be your biggest ROI. And then there's a declining marginal utility as you spend more and more. So I think that first ad flight, for lack of a better word, ad campaign is going to get you a lot of response, even though it's a long-term investment. Whereas additional uh, price cuts on Model Y don't get you much. So. Yeah. The, the way I would answer this question for myself is if if uh, the company uh, uh, reaches a point where the culture of how it's run sort of mirrors similar large companies where it's, you know, let's get grow five to eight percent per year. Best case scenario. Mm -hmm. Let's try to, you know, squeeze every profit that we can. Let's not worry too much about the next five years. Let's worry more about how can we make the next quarter better 
and Elon Musk ends up selling 95% of his Tesla stock or more to do something else, then I'm like, okay, so is Elon Musk still running the company? <laughs> and I, that's yeah. where I would get seriously concerned, right? Because that's, I really believe that culture of innovation the company has is it's by far its biggest uh, competitive advantage. And so if that were to change, then that would make me concerned. So yeah, they're, they're um, the employer of choice. I mean, people are engineers, yeah. they want to go work for they want to go work for Elon Musk. That's a great advantage right. they have versus Google, Microsoft, Apple, sure. anybody really. Yeah. 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 Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, let's do the last one. Cause we're running up on an hour and a half here and then we'll wrap the sucker up. Uh, senior B question, Gary thoughts on Elon's meeting in China. Interesting. Good. I mean, he, he, he got a lot of uh, red carpet treatment. You know, he met with a lot of public officials. And I don't know if it was so much to you know, cheer on the troops at the Shanghai Gigafactories. It was he wanted to basically, you know, be a friend of, of you know, the business community in China or show that he was a friend. And he got a lot of mileage out of it. You know, you, you see all the people he met with and they all were like bragging about the fact that Elon came there. He hadn't been there in three years. So I think it was both parts to, to you know, work with the, the Communist Party, you know, which he has to be, you know, he has to have a good relationship with. And I thought that was very successful. He, he seemed to get a lot of mileage out of that. And, you know, he he was in at the Shanghai factory, which, you know, he got some mileage out of that as well. I'm surprised they didn't do anything with the Model 3 unveiling while they were there because there was a lot of talk that was going to happen. But, you know, part of it is is just the, the whole Osborne effect that we talked about it. If he unveiled it and they weren't ready to produce it and sell it, nobody would be buying a Model 3. So it was probably a wise decision not to do it if they're not ready to make it and ship it out. So I thought it was a good trip. And, you know, it was probably it, it, it said to me and I know it said to a lot of institutions, look, the guy's really focused on Tesla again. And that's a positive. And to the extent that you want to get that that 45 percent that's held by institutions higher. You're not going to lose the retail community. You got to get the institutional number higher. Um, you know that that was that would be a good thing to have him be more focused on Tesla. That's what they're looking for. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for that answer. Uh, thank you all very much for joining us today. We had over 1,400 live viewers at peak uh, for today's chat, which is awesome. Yeah. Uh, Alexander, Gary, any parting words before we wrap this sucker up? No, thank you. It's been great. Awesome. Just if you guys can help us out with FFND, that would be great. Appreciate it. Ticker FFND okay. and FF, uh, FFLS FFLS. coming soon. In three weeks. Soon. Three We're weeks. coming. Awesome. Thanks, Can't wait. Uh, thank you both. Thank you, Moz. Thank you, everybody in the chat for keeping the uh, uh, commentary respectful. And, of course, producer wife, as always. My goodness, I couldn't do this without you. Love you, baby. Great job. And uh, we'll see you on the next one. Take it easy, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.